0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. We're in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles or your devices, uh, you might turn to Acts 2. And I'm going to begin a reading in verse uh, 46. This is after the Apostle Peter's sermon. Uh, which we covered last time. It's a very powerful sermon. If you recall, he really preaches an Old Testament sermon using Joel and uh, Psalm uh, 103 and 110 and 116. And uh, the reaction of the people was that they were cut to their heart. And they asked, what must we do to be saved? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized. So that brings us up to verse 40. To begin with, I I think we should pray. Um, I think we should pray for these uh, missionaries that were uh, kidnapped in Haiti yesterday. 17 uh, families, apparently, because children were also involved. that puts us, uh, you know, I think the U.S. has tried to keep its distance except for humanitarian aid, and now this puts a, a some gang uh, kidnapped them. They were there to build an orphanage. So I don't know how much, you know, the word missionary can have a technical aspect to it, or it can have, we've come from our church to build an orphanage, and it may be more on, along those lines. I think we should pray for them. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the beauty and the power of this passage in its description of the church, of the household of faith. I pray that some of that might come through here with your presence by your spirit uh, this morning. We do pray for our sisters and brothers in Christ uh, who have been uh, kidnapped in Haiti. We thank you for the gospel motivation that led them to go there. And we pray that your sustaining grace would uh, give them peace in the midst of uh, this danger and that you would help to save and and to rescue them. We thank you, Lord, that their lives are in your hands. Now, guide us, we ask, in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So Acts 2, beginning in verse 40, with many other words... He, being Peter, warned them, and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now I tell my students don't flatter the text, preach the text, or explain the text. Sometimes we sort of uh, wax eloquent about how, what a wonderful, powerful text this is. And I'll tell you, I feel like saying that about this text. It's a beautiful description of the church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, You know, it is just a kind of an ideal description of the church. And I believe Luke understood that he was writing idealistically as he expressed it. Uh, you may recall at some point in your life where, with respect to the church, everything came together. There was a sense in which uh, you know, you're know you running on all cylinders. Uh, I've experienced that as a pastor where uh, there's times where you kind of say to yourself, and you know it's not going to last very long, it can't get better than this. The Lord really is in it, and you just feel like uh, evil for the moment is sort of abated and kept at bay, and uh, it's just a wonderful experience of, of community in Christ. And that's what Luke, I think, is expressing here in the Spirit. Notice the, uh, the words, everyone, everyone was filled with awe. I'll read it with that kind of emphasis for a moment. And signs performed by the apostles. all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with their glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their numbers daily. I mean, it's. There, this is an ideal picture of the church at its inception. The early church emerging through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is an interesting uh, two weeks. In a, my daughter, Kennerly, our daughter, Kennerly, um, and... He, she, along with her uh, husband Patrick, both graduates from Beeson Divinity School, are serving a church in Covenant, uh, Covenant uh, San Diego, and evangelical Presbyterian church. And she preached on this text last week. So I've been in dialogue with her about this text. And she's. better a good job of it. Yeah, uh, Virginia was actually there last week. <laughs> for that message, helping with uh, Micah, Jonah, and Ezra to give her an opportunity to be able to preach. Um, And Patrick had just gotten back from a conference. So, uh, but Kennelly started by uh, talking about growing up in the church, being a pastor's kid, although I don't think our three were overly... uh, beset by the notion of being PKs. But she talked about being so familiar, growing up in the church, uh, knowing the people, knowing the building, being known by everybody. Um, And she pulled out an an incident that happened. When my mother died, uh, an elder showed up at the house, and uh, if he had called we probably would have said, you know, don't bother, thanks, great. But he just showed up. He showed up, knocked on the door and he said, what can I do? And Virginia said to Bob Parrish, this elder, uh, well, we need to get Jeremiah home from Spokane to San Diego. He said, I'll do it. And, uh, and we need you to book a ticket. We're all expecting to pay for the ticket And uh, Bob just immediately booked a ticket with his Southwest miles and uh, got Jeremiah on the next flight home. And that, you know, I had forgotten that. I would not have remembered that. But Kennerly remembered that gracious provision of an elder, Uh, one of many that we could recite as a family of, of God's provision, of the household of faith being together, and serving, and that uh, yeah, but then she said she added to that of going off to college, and for the first time, church became something that she would choose i mean it wasn't part of the family habit now; she's off on her own, and uh thankfully, you know the idea of going to church was sort of deeply instilled in her. And uh, that wasn't optional. But what church do you choose? That was optional. And uh, Kennerly was trying out churches. She'd spend a few weeks in one, and she said, you know, it became sort of... She's overnight became a consumer. You know, in terms of, well, do I like the sermon? Do I like the music? Do I like kind of connect with the people? And going through... uh, That kind of consumeristic spectator. And she said, for a while, for a couple months, it was very freeing. It was kind of fun. But then she said, she began to realize that she was becoming kind of a serious critic of everything in terms of evaluating it. And it was empty, it was kind of lonely. She wasn't connected, she wasn't related, she was just evaluating. And, uh, and that led her to, to get into a church. Uh, but it's just really interesting. Now ironically, uh, because this is a lot of personal sharing, my son today, who's an ordained deacon in an Anglican church in Seattle, teaches English at, at Northwest University, he's preaching on Mark 10 um in his church uh, advent kirkland i just find that kind of interesting this is the fruit in their lives of growing up in the household of faith of loving the word of god and growing in it Um, well on your uh on our sort of study sheet together under the introduction number one Before the church can be experienced, the gospel must be preached. And that's why this Pentecost message that Peter delivers is so important. Peter's message appealed to the mind. He launched into an explanation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, requested that his audience listen carefully. He began by quoting heavily from familiar Old Testament prophecy to affirm the truth of Jesus. And he presents this convicting message which credited each and every one with the death of Jesus. I mean, he brings that home. You could not listen to that message without feeling responsible for the crucifixion. He doesn't pull any punches. Number two, Luke used the heart, his description of them being cut to the heart. And I think I've sort of teased that I think Luke was a cardiologist because this idea of the heart, remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, when they sat down with Jesus, were not our hearts you know, stirred within us as he opened up and explained the scriptures. Uh, that Luke 24, verse 32, and then Acts 24, where they refer to the Lord as the great heart knower when they're picking that 12th uh, apostle. So he likes these expressions related to the heart and how important that is. Uh, because it is a theology of the heart. It is, and that's not to exclude the mind. Uh, It doesn't just mean emotions. And then number three, Luke may have associated this ideal picture that we have here in Luke 2, 42 through 47 with Psalm 133. It's a description of the early church, uh, as a description of the early church, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's head, down on the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Uh, Psalm 133 was kind of a controlling psalm uh, for Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, little book, Life Together. And if you look up on Amazon, this may not be the cover, but I would really encourage you to read this book. It's very easy to read. It's, uh, it's, under, it's 119 pages with large print. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was that German pastor who uh, died in his 40s after writing Cost of Discipleship and a number of other theological works but this is a book that is uh, so mindful and so helpful in terms of thinking about the church. And he bases uh, there's a lot of reference to Psalm 133 throughout this book. But uh, and I had thought of maybe reading portions to you. This is a great study and it's very biblical. And so uh, you know. If you did it as a small group, it would be easy to find biblical passages to work from. And number four, sincerity of heart conveys the idea of simplicity, singularity, and purity. That notion of being cut to the heart and then Peter uh, responding to them to repent and be baptized. Uh, and then number five, devotion to Christ is expressed in our beliefs our belonging, and our behavior. I think number five is really important. All three of those. All three of those need to be in place in the life of the church. It's not just beliefs, but it is to whom we belong, to Christ and to his people, and our behavior is impacted by our faith in Christ. God never makes private Secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, true, intimate, yes. But private, no. So it's important to understand that personal doesn't mean private. Personal puts us in a community with others. We don't have that, um, what Eugene Peterson is expressing here in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, is we don't have that option. Uh, A parent can't can't be a parent apart from family, right? You can't be a Christian apart from church. You don't have that individualistic, autonomous option. Uh, I'm not saying you can come out of your faith as an individual if there's a time where you're not in church, but my point being is that we belong in the fellowship of believers. Belief, belonging, and behavior. The early church understood all three of those dimensions, I think, in a profound way. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. So now, uh, B, the First Church of Acts is a picture of devotion to God. And that devotion is, uh, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These four dimensions. And the devotion implies all that's in that parenthetical thought. It's intellectual, it's relational, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's material. I don't think we should think of these four areas as sort of four departments, compartments in the life of the church. Uh, It's not like where one's devoted to the word is independent of devotion to fellowship. Devotion to fellowship is independent from breaking of bread or the celebration of the Eucharist uh, or independent from prayer. All of these are intricately integrated together, these four dimensions. And it produces, I think, rhythms of grace, not rituals of duty, it's it's not that we uh, have to do these things, it's that uh, we desire to be involved in these things. So number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'd love for you to think right now, Of how the Word of God has gotten into you how the Word has shaped you how you understand God's Word Uh, I grew up in a different era really did Uh, (laughs) uh, and uh, there were things that you know I'm kind of glad have changed from my early years but I realized that much of uh, how I got God's word was not sort of something that I'm, I'm choosing to do. It was just part of the life that I grew up in. Uh, I was in small churches, uh, mainly small Baptist churches um, as a young boy. And my parents took the word of God very seriously I wouldn't say they took it religiously. They took it seriously. They were devoted to God's word. My father was a mathematician. Um, My mother uh, worked part-time in the elementary school. And uh, I don't remember them being, you know, saying like, well, you really ought to have personal devotions. You ought to read your Bible. But I'm sure I caught it from them, and so, Uh, Since I was a young teen, uh, I'd spend 30 minutes in reading the Bible and praying and journaling my comments and questions. I've thrown those all out because going back and looking at them, I was very embarrassed by them. Um, Not embarrassed in doing it, embarrassed with how I thought, but, uh, and then we had family devotions after supper. um, And... I know supper's an old word, too. Um, 15 minutes. I don't know if you've seen that Daily Bread devotional guide, but uh, it has a short sort of meditation on a passage of Scripture illustrated heavily. Um, And it was our family of four, my brother and I. And uh, so somebody would open in prayer, short prayer, and then somebody would read the, Uh, scripture passage that the devotional was alluded alluded to and then they'd read the devotional and then somebody would have a longer prayer praying like for the missionaries in Haiti that have been kidnapped Um, and then I I went to church and uh, you know nobody told me that I was too young to go to the Wednesday night prayer meeting and that's really kind of where I learned to pray in the church And we had Sunday a message in the morning and a message at night. Uh, I'm kinda glad that Sunday night I can be at home now. But for years, (laughs) Sunday night was in church and uh, studying the Bible. Uh, And I had a, a, a pastor in my teen years that invited me to preach when he was on vacation. So, 16 17 I would give the sermon Uh, all of that was to you know I look back on devoted to the Apostles teaching some way and somehow we do need to intentionally ground ourselves in the Word of God and understand it and I'm 70 and I haven't exhausted the scriptures not even close I remember when I was young, I was saying, what do you do when you run out of material? And I realized now that there's no way you're going to run out of material. It's a finite text, but it's infinite truth. And uh, I remember my fourth and fifth grade Sunday school teacher, Mr. Noon, he was a milkman, drove a milk truck, dropped off bottles of milk. That makes me seem like I'm World War I. Uh, I'm not that old Um, and he was as dry and as boring as you can imagine mr. Noon and we met in the kitchen in the church uh, around the kitchen counter and uh, and we studied the Bible together and you know it was probably about uh, seven fourth graders and we really liked Mr. Noon as boring as he was he led us in the Bible and then when we graduated to fifth grade lo and behold Mr. Noon graduated with us and we had him for a second year and we were thrilled I, mr noon is a is a credit to the idea that you do not have to be an exciting teacher to have an impact on youth um, uh, i all i'm trying to do is put an exclamation mark on devoted to the apostles teaching and Letting the word shape us. These three texts at the bottom of page one, all scriptures God breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How true that is. And Colossians one twenty-eight has been a favorite text for me in terms of my own personal mission in life. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then finally, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to the Lord. The belief is important. Uh, Somehow the belonging and the behavior also are impacted by uh, being devoted to the apostles' teaching. And then number two, the next page, flip it. they devoted themselves to fellowship, the word that you're familiar with as well, uh, the Greek word koinonia. The word koinonia means sharing in or causing to share in and is interpreted in the New Testament in two profound ways. First is Trinitarian, a Trinitarian God-centered fellowship and the second is the actual relational fellowship of the body of Christ. So. A under number two. First, we share together a common fellowship with the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that word koinonia is used in relationship to our relationship with the Triune God. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. The blessing of our life together depends exclusively on this fellowship. May the grace of the Lord Jesus The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And again in 1 John, the fellowship we share, our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So that's God-centered fellowship. Koinonia first means that. Second, it means that we uh, are together, as this passage emphasizes, with brothers and sisters in Christ. The New Testament church used the word fellowship to refer to sharing their material resources with each other. In other words, it was a practical. Uh, It was not communistic. They weren't selling everything and living in a commune. It's that they were selling to provide for one another in the life of the church the NIV, the word is translated sharing, but it's also the same word that's used for fellowship with God. It's the second meaning of fellowship that Luke emphasizes here. The reality of Christian conversion was especially evident in the generous sharing that went on among Christians. Uh, the point that Kennerly made in her sermon uh, on this aspect of, of sharing was that love is learned. Uh, we learn it by having received it, we learn it by practicing it. It doesn't come natural. It, you don't automatically become a person who is generous and sharing and giving and supportive and helpful. Uh, some of us maybe are more inclined to that than others, but I think the real point is you learn it and you're around people who do it. And because of that, you enter into that kind of giving. Um, And, you know, it's always been really important for me in terms of the life of the church as to how people share and how people give. Um, Such a difference between uh, a kind of proud pride uh, related to the giving and a humility related to the giving. Um, Again, at First Press uh, San Diego, there was an elder in our church... Who knew our family really pretty well and we had shifted my mother my my dad died when he was 48 and we moved my mother uh, to Wheaton where she worked for a while and then wherever we served we moved her so we moved her from Wheaton to Bloomington Indiana moved her from Bloomington Indiana to Denver Colorado moved her from Denver Colorado to San Diego these were always separate moves um, she often lived with us until uh, she found a place. Um, uh, you know, With my dad dying at 48 without any kind of life insurance, uh, my brother and I helped support her. And uh, uh, so she's in San Diego, she's been in a couple of places where she's rented, and an elder said, Look, I've got this flat, which was about a mile from the church, and uh, I'd love for your mother to to take it. She said, you know, the the value's going up. I don't need any rent. Uh, I just would would I'd be very pleased if you would do that. Well, that was a tremendous gift to us. Um, and uh, and uh, and Janice, you know, uh, constantly was saying, well, you know, the real estate's just going up and up and up. I'm I'm fine there's no problem here. Um, but we were very grateful for, you know, that one bedroom flat that mom could stay in. And and I would, uh, I get to church really early, and then I'd go off and have breakfast with her um, for the last few years of her life, uh, maybe twice a week. Um, and she would pray for the church, probably was um, Nobody more committed to praying for the life of that church than my mother. Um, So sharing has impacted my life tremendously in how the Lord has provided uh, in wonderful ways. Uh, And I would like to think that that's not just because I'm a pastor. I'd like to think because I'm in the church. Uh, I'm sensitive to that—that that those in leadership in the church should not receive sort of privileged sharing, privileged attention, because they're in a sense uh, serving the church in that capacity. I, th- I think this should be the culture of the church, of one of providing and encouraging. And I don't think a tax write-off should be net essential in order to share. Uh, I think it has to be done carefully and thoughtfully uh, as I've expressed, but I think we'd be a lot healthier and stronger if we entered into that uh, in a more personal and relational way. Number three, boy, all of these could engage a conversation, I'm sure, and I feel like I'm plowing through. Uh, it's a little hard uh, with uh, you know tape and all and uh, to do much sharing. Number three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That's a wonderful way of referring to the Eucharist, isn't it? Uh, because they, they broke bread together, they broke bread in their homes, they were celebrating the Lord's table. Uh, biblical scholars are very much agreed that the phrase, the breaking of the bread, is celebrating uh, by taking the cup, taking the bread, uh, the remembrance of Jesus Christ crucified. It's not just that they're eating lunch together. Uh, Christ followers enjoyed a oneness of fellowship that integrated family and home life with the household of faith. It was more relational than it was institutional. And... uh, Yeah, you know, I, I I think it's wonderful that uh, you know, I believe that sermons should end at the table, um, that uh, text to table. It saves every sermon from being moralistic because you're entering into what Christ has done for us always. Uh, and that's apparently what was characteristic of their fellowship. And then number four, they were devoted to prayer or the prayers. Luke's description includes the definite article before prayer as it does with the breaking of bread. This reference to the prayers and to the breaking of bread indicates that the early church met together for prayer services. Luke's description implies a range of meaning from personal prayer to corporate prayer, from prayer in the temple courts to prayer in their homes. Uh, You can look at the rest. Uh, I've got quarter two, so I have to... And But this is an interesting book, Uncomfortable, by Brett McCracken. Uh, he's a young guy, and, uh, and he writes with a, uh, a youthful perspective, uh, which I like. Um, and uh, he says this about the church. It's just, if you're looking for comfort, you probably aren't going to really look for the church. Because uh, on many different levels from the truth, uh, it's not much of an expression of the spirit of the times, the Holy Spirit. But he writes this. But the Christian life cannot be an individual affair. The church is necessarily plural. To To say you love Jesus but not the church is to say you prefer a decapitated head. That's creepy. And that doesn't work biblically. Uh, And, you know, I've been thinking about that Uh, in our neighborhood. It goes all hog wild on Halloween. And there's all sorts of decapitated uh, skeletons and bodies in our neighborhood. Uh, So (laughs) I thought of that when I read this. That's creepy. It doesn't work biblically. We are the body of Christ. A head needs a body and a body needs a head. And though it's true there are aspects of salvation and faith that are experienced individually, it's also true that the purpose of the cross was not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate their loneliness, but to create a new community whose members would belong to Jesus Christ, love one another, and eagerly serve the world. Well, uh, this was the shortest text I had and probably had a lot more that could be said of this text, Acts 2:42 through 47. And uh, I just think it's a wonderful description of the church. Let's pray. Lord God, thanks for this time together. And in your word, I pray for my sisters and brothers in Christ here, for their experience of the body of Christ. We ask that we might be devoted to the word, to the apostles teaching, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread to worship together and prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.